0: Recorded live. Welcome to Off the Post. I'm Russ Cole. Brett Anthony Mangione. And how are you?
2: Functional and ready to talk.
0: All right. Well, you're <laughs> always ready to talk. I mean, I don't remember your tongue ever having a problem. Um, <laughs> we have Mike O'Jello. Mike. I'm bitter. I'm pissed off. So I'm normal. You're not even a Met fan, so you have no reason to be. And we well, have that's
1: that that's the one I that's the one thing I can be positive about. The Yankees won. Thank you.
0: And we have Newsday's own. Great writer, but even better videographer, Ted Starkey. How are you, Ted? I'm good. I'm back.
3: <laughs> You're back.
0: We didn't even know you left. No, I'm kidding. We <laughs> saw the tweet. Though. We did. All right. So let's talk about the Stanley Cup. You uh, you covered your fair share of games, Ted, and you've covered your fair share of Capitals games over the year years. Um, we I know we were chatting in uh, Annapolis and. At that point, it was still like none of us were thinking this was a slam dunk. I remember thinking, hey, after that win, Ovechkin was, you know, pretty animated. But, you know, again, going into the playoffs, Pittsburgh, I didn't pick him against Pittsburgh. But I went to game six because I knew either something historic would happen for the Capitals or, you know, Pittsburgh would win again. And, you know, I'll cover that. And so when that didn't happen, that's when I got on the Capitals bandwagon and started picking them for the next couple of rounds and you know, good for them. They, they really were the better team. Did you get the feeling that people were just sort of waiting for like this Vegas magic to happen? Because I think that was like the biggest misnomer, like, cause everybody's just like, well, it's all, it's all like magic. It's just going to happen. And the Capitals were the better team really for every game in that series. I still go back to the Ryan Reeves um, goal. That really should have been a goal should have been a power play. Like uh, I, really can't think of a time where Vegas really looked like they even had a chance in this series.
3: No, I agree. I think uh, I think the big thing with the Caps is, uh, you know, basically when they made the change from Bill Grubauer to Brayden Holtby in game two of the Columbus series. I mean, you look, you go back and look at it. Every series, Holtby was better than either Bobrovsky, Murray, Vasilevsky, or Flurry. And, um, you know, I think that he really kind of set the tone. And obviously, Ovechkin you know, had a terrific playoff because uh, off had a, a tremendous playoff of his own. And, you know, like even last night, they got production from the bottom guys. You know, uh, Devontae Smith-Pelly got the tying goal in the third period, and then Lars Eller scores the winner. And, you know, they just – they really seem to kind of thrive. I think in years past, they kind of got crushed under the pressure and expectations that they always had. And when I mean, you go back and look at it, probably the only series they were favored going into uh, was a Columbus series. You know, they're heavy underdogs against Pittsburgh. No one thought they could beat Tampa Bay. And even Vegas, We you know, with Vegas' run, I think it was at best a 50-50 split. So, you know, I think they kind of thrived under that. and They didn't have the pressure. And, you know, I think with Trotz in his last year of his contract, he seemed to exude a kind of confidence that the team kind of adopted. And, you know, it was a it was a strange run to see because it was not only effective, but, you know, they basically... Yeah, I felt they like they were of,
0: doing it for him. I started saying that on our Buzzcast um, a couple of weeks ago I felt like they were doing it for him when it seemed pretty evident that he might leave. So I, I agree with you on that.
3: Yeah, and I think, you know, it just it seemed like they, they seemed to kind of be relaxed. They didn't, you know, there were times where they could have folded. You know, there's pretty much, for the first three rounds, there were times they easily could have uh, been knocked out, but they kind of, you know, responded and were not losing their heads. And, you know, it was a great run for them. They uh, kind of put it together when no one expected they would.
2: And certainly, I could I can certainly account for that myself. When I did my picks at the beginning of the year, I honestly thought that the Caps were a possible possibility of maybe not even making the postseason after losing a few a few key parts going into the sea, going into uh, the season. I was wondering whether or not you know they had gone as far as they could with this roster. And like you said, Ted, this is where when you least expect it, this is where things kind of came together uh, for them as a team. I guess I'm looking at the whole roster again as a team, and it just seems like, you know, it was, it, was, it was pretty organic. A lot of homegrown talent on this team. I think they share a lot of guys that they brought up, obviously, from Hershey as well. It's really something else when you take a look at how they sort of – how they were able to piece this – how they put this roster together this year.
3: I think the big thing for Brian McClellan, uh, you know, obviously they had a lot of upheaval last year. He wanted to make sure he kept the court together you know, which is why they signed Oshie to the big deal and they made sure, you know, because Netsoff stayed. Um, you know, you look at the guys they lost, you know, guys like Carl Alzer, Justin Williams, uh, Kevin Shattenkirk. But, you know, they really didn't do – I mean, there were losses, but they weren't really essential. And, you know, the Caps were able to plug guys in, you know, like at Devontae Snipelli, who they, you know, basically signed a two-way deal. Um, and you basically just saw that I think McClellough really focused on keeping the core together and then trying to, you know, kind of help out, you know, and you had some of these other players who really stepped in. You know, Madison Bowie was good uh, for his rookie season, and then they uh, pick up Kempney and uh, Jared back at the deadline, which obviously helped the defense. And, you know, it kind of just, like, all came together. And I think the important thing, too, is I think the Caps weren't as good on paper this year as they were last year, but teams like Pittsburgh and the Rangers and the Islanders, the other teams in the division weren't either because, you know, they kind of, made some moves for the expansion draft and not necessarily an improvement. So I think, you know, even though, you know, last year's Capitals might have beat this year's Capitals in a playoff series, uh, everyone else around them wasn't quite as good either.
1: Well, Ted, I, I, you know, the the Capitals should send me a Stanley cup ring because I picked against them for all four series. So, um, but it's going to be tough for McClellan to keep that core group together again this summer, because we have, you know, there's John Carlson, who's, probably the second most ballyhooed free agent on the market next to John Tavares. Um, I know the cap is going up. We don't know yet what the cap is going to be, but what is, what do you think the feeling is regarding Carlson uh, staying or them being able to afford him on a a new deal?
3: It's going to be interesting because there's one big piece that the caps are going to have to move this summer. uh, I doubt Philip Grubauer is going to be back and he's going to be an RFA. And so I think the idea is they're going to see if they can resign Carlson to a friendly deal, which may or may not happen because, like you said, and especially right. if, Tavares, if Tavares signs, then he's going to be the top free agent. But if they think uh, Carlson is going to leave, I think you're going to see Grubauer packaged together in a bid to try to get a replacement type defenseman. You know, maybe there were rumors before that they were trying to make a run at Eric Carlson in Ottawa. Um, you know, there are a couple of teams that could try to get defensive help, and I think that would be the way they would do it if, you know, because obviously Grubauer is quite capable of being a number one starter somewhere else. And they, you know, the Capitals are going to have Samson off coming over next year. They have Phoenix Copley to a one way deal, so I think he's going to be the backup next season. So um, I think you'll be seeing some stuff at the draft, and I think you'll see how to see if they tip their hand. If they think they're going to sign him, because if they acquire a defenseman, I don't think, uh, I think they think they're not going to be able to bring him back.
0: Yeah, and we had that talk too at the uh in Annapolis and nobody really thought that Carlson was coming back. So we'll see. But here's the other big thing. So if, if I'm gonna be a super sleuth here, Ted, I'm um, I'm thinking, based on quotes that I saw, McClellan saying, Well, if Trotz wants to come back, he'll be back. He didn't say his coach though. And then they, they asked Trotz, does he have a future with, with the Capitals and he says, Absolutely. But again, he doesn't say his coach, so like, should I read between the lines and thinking that Trotz is just going to hang it up as coach and be something else for them?
3: He could. Um, I mean, it, it's also interesting to see what's going to happen with Minnesota. Obviously, it sounds like, yeah. like Dean Evison becoming an assistant that Boudreaux is going to stick around a little while, but, you know, obviously he worked with Paul Fenton in Nashville. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can't see him. I know he's been tied to rumors of the Islander job. I don't think he would go.
0: No, I, I thought Minnesota I, I, the same way you did if he went somewhere.
3: Yeah, and I think the, I think part of the, the, the rift between him and McClellan is I think there's a power issue because mm-hmm. I think when he was originally hired, uh, the expectation was he would have more input on player personnel and, you know, who he could pick. And I'm not sure it's quite worked out that way. Um, I know, you know, there's certain players that uh, I know that Trotz wants in that McClellan doesn't really want in. but uh, So I think that's where a little bit of the rift comes from. But uh, I, I, I could see him either coming back or taking a different job in the organization or, you know, he could just take a year off. I mean, he can basically write his own ticket. He's a mm-hmm. Stanley cup winning coach. You know, he can wait and see, you know, if he doesn't like a vacancy that's available, you know, the next year, I'm sure someone will come calling.
2: Ted, if you had to peg at me, what you would say was the most underrated storyline for the Capitals uh, in the postseason this, uh, this year, the one storyline that maybe wasn't talked about as much, what would you say that would be?
3: Um, I think, you know, it's just, I think just the depth of the team. I mean, I think like a guy like Kepney, you know, came in very under heralded, uh, acquisition. Um, he really shored up the blue line, you know, obviously a guy like Devante Smithelli in the off season, uh, he'd scored seven goals in the regular season and ended up with seven goals in the postseason. So, um, you know, obviously the, you know, between the Conn Smythe voting, you know, everyone was talking about Ovechkin and Kuznetsov and Holtby, but I think it's just the depth came up when they needed it. You know, that's, kind of the key to the playoffs if your top two lines don't produce. And, you know, the Capitals really, one of the things you notice against Vegas is, uh, you know, they really could roll four lines against Vegas like Vegas has been rolling against other teams. Uh, You know, it didn't matter if it's a first line, third line, fourth line. uh, Any of those lines could strike. And, you know, they really kind of showed their depth even in a year that people didn't think they were actually going to have much depth.
0: Mike, you got anything? No, uh, I was just, I just texted you and said I was done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, sorry. I know. We, oh, you did. I missed that. My bad. Uh, so, Ted, we go back to, I feel like the most underreported story right now with the Washington Capitals, and, and I said this this afternoon, is, is Nick Backstrom. Like, this guy is pretty much a Hall of Famer. He's almost, almost a point a game in the regular season and playoffs. I mean, he, he's got that Frankenfinger right now, which I don't even <laughs> know how he's, gripping a stick, and if you saw, there was a picture of Ovechkin coming off the plane with the Stanley Cup, and Backstrom is helping him, like, hold it up with his other hand, so clearly he can barely use that hand. I don't think he's getting any credit. Like, the shadow from Ovechkin, or the shade, is, as the youngsters want to say, is just so great <laughs> that, like, he just doesn't even get mentioned. I oh, know. I mean, the funny
3: part is, if you watch the games after he got hurt, you really didn't notice too much. I mean, his face-off numbers are still pretty good. Uh, yeah. Obviously, he had a couple of nice dishes. You would never know uh, that he had a pretty severe hand injury. But, yeah, no, he's it's, it's interesting with his career. He's always been like that because he's not a flashy type, except for, you know, obviously he, he's got some nice setups. But he's not uh, he's not someone you really overly notice, but he does the little things right. Um, you know, and obviously he, he's been, you know, he was on the uh, second line this year and, you know, kind of kept them going. And obviously – uh, T.J. Oshie, who had some, you know, he, he had a very erratic year. He had a concussion and then mm-hmm. uh, kind of took a while to recover. But, you know, he keeps that line going. And that's, like I was saying earlier with the depth, that kind of – the Capitals really had four lines that were difficult to play against. You couldn't really relax against them. And, you know, I think that's, in the end, that's really what ended up getting him the cup.
0: Ted, did you cry at the T.J. Oshie um, quote? Like, in my house, we were all crying. I, I just want to – I admit it. Did you cry?
3: I actually did not hear.
0: I was there, but I did not hear it. <laughs> you are a heartless man. You are just heartless. No. Go ahead, Ann. Well, I'm he, done with him. Go ahead. He you didn't ahead. hear it. No, I don't no, care. He's... Go ahead, Ann. You're up. You're up. might has, <laughs> has a question. Oh, Mike Michael! I think has a question there. Question
1: Great. Question. Yeah, no, <laughs> I was, I was just gonna, I was just gonna comment that the only time Nick Baxter ever got any notice was the Geico commercial. <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> but, 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 Ted, t- t- the, uh, you know. Uh, this this is a copycat league we've always always seen that and it sort of flies in the face of the trend of the league the way with the capitals winning because you know two of their top four defensemen are not exactly fleet of foot sort of defensive defensemen who shot block and Niskanen and and Orpic and, you know, they have big guys like Smith Pelly that, that uh, you know, had an impact. And, of course, Tom Wilson was a bull in a china shop. That that sort of goes against the trend. Do you think that there will be teams that say, okay, we've got to find our own Tom Wilson and, you know, look for like Roman Polak as a defensive defenseman or somebody like that? I mean, what do you think?
3: Yeah, it was interesting because there's, there's been a debate uh, among people watching the Caps about it, particularly about Brooks Orpik because, Obviously, you know, he's a he's kind of an old-fashioned type of defenseman. He's a stay-at-home. He won't produce a lot of offense. But, you know, you compare him to a guy like Juice, and, you know, he's a lot more physical. He can clear guys out in front of the net. Um, so you can't really quantify him. But, yeah, no, they – it was interesting because, uh, you know, Orpik was very effective in the playoff. He was, you know, quietly kind of clearing the crease. And, obviously, like you talked to talk about Tom Wilson, I mean – He's obviously got a reputation with many fan bases, but he's developed into a nice two-way player. I mean, he, he kills penalties. Um, he's a big kid. He reminds me a lot of Scott Stevens in terms of hitting. Uh, you know, I remember when he was young, he would take a lot of kind of cheap runs at players and not exactly uh, 100% clean. Although, you know, back in those days, they got a lot, got away with a lot more than they do now. But, you know, he's kind of, picking his spots a little bit more because he know he's being watched. Um, you know, sometimes he did lose, lose his temper, like the game seven against Tampa. That could have been disastrous had he taken an extra penalty or two. But, you know, I, I think they kind of are an old school team. You know, they they do have the speed. They do have the skill. But, you know, they know you have to be a little bit physical. They like to wear teams down. You know, I think in every series you saw they played this year, uh, they they could – Pretty much stayed at a consistent level, and their opponents seem to be get worn down. And I, I think, you know, they try to play heavy hockey, and I think that's part of the plan. Well, Ted,
0: listen, Ted, we've, oh God, you got,
2: you got yeah, one last one. Last one. one. Yeah, one last one. Dad, and this one actually is Vegas related. In your in, in your estimation, Ted, do you think um, based on what we saw this year with Vegas, is there in your mind are they a lightning in a bottle team? or do you think this is a team that is really set up really well for the long haul, at least the next five years? Well, I think the key with Vegas is not necessarily the personnel
3: they have now. I think the fact is, you know, you have to remember, George McPhee stockpiled all those picks and he has a lot of cap room available. I mean, we're talking about one of the other teams that's apparently uh, rumored to be after Carlson is Vegas. Um, You know, they have the money to go sign. If they want to sign John Carlson or, uh, you know, even make a run for Tavares this summer. Um, you know, it's it's interesting with having an expansion team in a cap league. It really gave them a lot of flexibility because you're not saddled with a lot of these heavy contracts. You know, you know even if you take one on, you're at least getting a pick, you know compensated heavily for it. Um, so I think George has done a good job. Obviously, I don't think they expected the kind of run they did. You know, I know before the season I had talked to some people with the organization. And I think you know they wanted to make a run for the playoffs, but I think they were realistic about it. I thought they you know, they thought they could probably get in the 80-point range at best. Um, but obviously with the, what happened uh, before the season, the tragedy locally, I think it kind of galvanized the team. And, you know, they, they Vegas was an effective team because they had a, a team that could roll. They had a lot of talent spread throughout the lineup. Obviously Fleury played well. And, you know, Gerard Galan has a really good system. You know, they they forecheck like crazy. They they don't try to carry the puck and do low percentage passes across the ice. They do these short little uh, five foot passes to make sure they keep possession and they could drive teams crazy. And I I think, you know, they may not have a run like this for a couple of years, but I think with the picks they have and with the cap room they have, they could definitely, you know, be a playoff team the next couple of years.
0: Well, Ted, listen, thanks for coming on. Everybody should follow him on Twitter at Ted Starkey. Read him in Newsday. Uh, did they start selling off pieces of the uh, chocolate Marc Andre Fleury yet? Do you know they can't keep that over the summer, right?
3: Uh, apparently it's coming down. It was there. A little, I was at the Bellagio last night after the game, and I can I can verify it was still up as of about uh, 11 p.m. Pacific time. But I can't imagine it's long or at this point tastes very good either.
0: Yeah, I think they're going to melt it down, and I don't know <laughs> what they'll do with it. All right. Well, thanks for uh, coming on. Hopefully you get some sleep, and uh, appreciate you giving us the good coverage.
1: Anytime. Thanks, guys.
0: All right, see so yeah,
1: Did they uh, did they make a, a chocolate Oscar Dansk?
0: No, I don't think so. No, well,
1: they probably should have made a
2: chocolate uh, Lucas Biza, though, oh. watching him play defense last night, you know. Oh.
0: <laughs>
2: I put <laughs> up a that picture was, of Lucas. That, that was, that was uh, approximation, especially on the Euler goal. I'm like,
0: can't let mm. him get in front of you
2: like that behind the net. That's <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Course, invariably, true. I start getting the Andy McDonald comments the minute I mention that. I'm like, yeah, it didn't take long to trigger the 47s.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can understand all that. I can. So here's the thing. All right, so all right. let's talk a little bit about the, mm-hmm. um, the NHL Combine. I, I enjoy it. I know you can't take everything at face value, like if a player doesn't talk to a team or does talk to a team. But, but here's the thing. You can read these kids. If you get good at it, you can. And you can sometimes see – some really great athletes. And so one of the guys who really was a great athlete was, um, Liam Foodie. Like he was a guy that, you know, was ranked mid rounds for, um, central scouting. I think he played for London and, and I think he's a pretty good player. I do, but man, he just, he just, I want to say he was like Mike Mamula at the, uh, at the combine. Mm -hmm. And, and so like that kind of guy, yeah, he could, uh, he can move up a little bit. He can maybe get into the um, second round. So there are some cases where once in a while somebody's athletic prowess, like it definitely worked for Mackenzie Blackwood a few years ago. And so I think Foodie is the guy this year. Mike, your observation?
1: Well, That's I mean, true. I, Mike I, no, I, I wasn't. I I wasn't at the combine as much as Russ was. All so and mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I didn't see the the workout. But, I mean, yes, there there have been uh, there have been instances where players have done themselves great amounts of positive, uh, you know, with in terms of uh, improving their stock in the draft. I mean, Morgan Frost last year. I mean, he yeah. did great on a number of tests, and I think that that. Vaulted his stock up into the lower part of the first round, so it really can help. And I think Foodie had 40 points with London. So, and he, yeah. I, I think I remember uh, somebody saying that he did really well in the second half of the season after sort of adjusting to the OHL in, in the first half. So, you know, I mean, that's maybe he's a second or third rounder. I don't know where he would originally have fallen, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I the thing I thought was most interesting out of the combine when I was there was the talk regarding like some of the picks, especially Montreal at number three, because mm-hmm. the 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 Canadians right now are an organization in, I'd say in chaos and in flux, and they have the third overall pick. And really where their major area of need is, is up the middle. And there is not, at least I, yeah. of my estimation, a center that's worth the number three pick, but there was talk at the combine of them pay it, them potentially – or them being interested in Jesperi, Kutkaniemi. And if that's the case, then either they move down a few picks or they reach and pick him a third overall. And that, that to me, uh, that, yeah. not not saying anything bad about the kid, but that's the sign of a desperate organization.
2: I mean, in, in the general rule of thumb, obviously, is we all know that the NHL draft is, the, is best player available. And it, it gets difficult when you start to try to reach – for current organizational needs for a player that is only, you know, how old and right. whether or not that player is ready to play immediately. I think it's a common mistake that I think a lot of fans make when they say, well, our team needs this. i mean, like, yeah, but the player is not necessarily going to be ready for another three to four years potentially. Maybe you're lucky. Maybe you strike gold here early on in the draft. But in my mind, in this case, it's got to be either to me, they need a full, they need offense in this case. So in my in my estimation, it's gotta be a guy like Chuck or 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 uh or Philip Zadina in this case. I think you've got to take the best guys, especially in the forward categories that are available. I'd love to see them potentially go out and get a guy like Dobson and surprise everybody look like, at number three because I think <laughs> Dobson's Dobson's impressive. Um and they, they they do they do have long long term need um as well as current need. Which kind of makes me now sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my face, but Dobson, I think, is actually. I've, I've gotten really. I know, Russ, you've been big on Dobson for yeah. quite a while. Yeah. During the Mem Cup, I watched, really got a chance to kind of watch him, and I was like,
0: whoa. <laughs> yeah, the way the term that I've come up for him is it's just he he may not be like a superstar offensive talent, but there's constant offensive pressure, whether it's just chipping the puck in, whether it's skating the puck in, whether it's shooting the puck. Whatever it is, and he's always making sure it's it's back in the offensive zone. he's real good at it <laughs>
1: and 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 the one thing that I saw when I saw Dobson was the fact that you know he's six foot three, but he's sort of lanky and wiry. Oh, yeah. and I think it was hundred and eighty pounds, but yeah one seventy seven uh, is
2: listed at right now, according to yeah, it, uh, the problem number.
1: As, as other people said, I mean, he's got the frame that you can build on. So it's like yeah. he may be 177 now, but may, when he plays in the NHL, he's probably going to end up being, you know, 190, 195, even, even 200 pounds.
0: Yeah, I think he might even go over that. Because I, I remember I interviewed him at the Top Prospects game, and that was one of the first things I gleaned was seeing that he could definitely put on some weight. But I will say this, I mean, he's already pretty – Pretty strong. Like in the Mem Cup, he held off um, Matthew Strom in the crease. And if you've seen Matthew Strome, yeah. like at least in he's camps and stuff, like like Ant and I have, yeah, he he's already pretty strong. So that's <laughs> that's already pretty good. It's funny about Dobson because look, he's from a little a little team and in a league that people like to sort of rip at times for inflated point totals and. I felt like for half of this season, like I, I, you know, like Ann said, I had Dobson sick, like since February, I hadn't moved off it. But everybody was on Boquist and Bouchard and Hughes, and, and then all of a sudden it, it happened late for Dobson. He also tested well at the Combine. So I felt like, yeah, that's that's another guy. To me, a real interesting guy at the Combine was, was Ryan Merkley because mm-hmm. – and I don't know if you were in that scrum or not Mike, I can't remember. You may have been gone already. Yeah. You were, yeah.
1: I think I was gone.
0: Uh, yeah. Was gone. Um he really got some coaching from his uh his handlers and so he was just doing like a big mea copa and copying to things that were wrong with his game <laughs> on the ice, off the ice, and you could tell that he was just trying to clean things up and and be as honest and charismatic as possible in hopes that we'll write good things about him because he is great offensively, but he's a just a terrible defensive player at the moment. And so we don't know where he's going to go. If you would have asked somebody he, last he, he's year. He's so
2: boomer. Yeah. Yeah. He's so, and the thing is what plays against him in this draft is this is a deep defensive draft. Right. And that's the thing. And, and that's what's going to, you know, in past years he might be further up the ladder. Yeah. Um. Because you look at his offensive talent. I mean, you almost get. You know, you watch some of his forays. You go, Oh my God, he's got. A, right. He's got do- doughty level ability. And yeah. You watch some of his other patterns where he's playing defensively, and you're going, Where the hell are you going? With some <laughs> right. of these defensive angles, it's like it like was. It's like he hasn't never even been taught how to yeah. properly. You know how to properly close. Like that's how far up on the play he is, and he has no clue coming back. So in and, and this draft, in my opinion, I mean, I'm no dra- I'm, I'm not going to call myself, you know, any sort of scout or draft expert. But if I'm looking at this draft, it's a lot
0: of really, really, you know, uh, you know, no, it's a defensive deep. heavy draft. It is. Yeah. I mean, you you you've got Lundqvist, who, <laughs> you, you know, I I I think he'll he'll go Bye. in the nah. first round. I don't know exactly where because you know he's picked up a lot of steam late. You've got a guy like that, you know, um, Sami.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, you know, then you've got like, I, another guy that, and I don't want to sound like a homie here, who's really being overlooked is Matias Samuelsson. Everybody's sort of looking at him like, well, you're just sort of a, a big kid who's a defensive defenseman, and and, and you're a nice, safe defenseman. But, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I had seen this sort of stuff happen with Max Gildon, and, and I was pretty high on him. I had him in my top 45, and I know people were sort of like, I'm looking at that like, okay, whatever. Why, I don't, we don't know why you're, why you're doing that. And it's it's because I had seen him in a couple of situations, All American Prospect Game, and somewhere else, where I saw him be offensive. And this year, first year, at New Hampshire, he has 23 points. And in a college situation in 36 games, that's really good. And you know, Matthias Samuelson, I think will will be a little less than that offensively, but he does have a good shot, and I've seen him on the power play as well. But that's never, and it, he's and actually top pairing guy for the NTDP, and so you know, I have him ranked right around 14, 15. I can't give it all away because we have a show in two weeks, so I have to play it like that. Sorry, people, but uh, the idea is, I think a lot of people, pundits think, well. You know, he's gonna to go towards the bottom of the first round. And and I think teams might be smarter than that, Ant, and I think he might go sooner because that kid's not that far from the NHL. He's really not. He's very well schooled and he'll probably put on another twenty pounds and he could be a beast. Which is scary considering the fact what he's a two eighteen already, right? Yes.
2: <laughs> so he put another twenty pounds. And a solid two eighteen. Yeah, exactly. So, it almost gets to where you got to be careful. Make sure not to put on too much weight in that No, event, true. You know, but that's certainly um, yeah. I mean, again, I know looking at um, I know rankings wise, I know that uh, that scouting service has has him at um, hockey prospect has him at thirty nine. I yeah, think I, I, I don't little, understand I think it's that. A, I think it's a little. I think it's a little low. I mean, just in my yeah. opinion, I think it's a little low for from what from everything I've seen with regards to Samuelson that he's yeah. probably the up The last I've probably but.
0: seen him eight eight or nine times, and I you mm-hmm. know I would I, I would have him much higher. Obviously, I do. So yeah, I'm I'm with you. And look, we didn't even talk about like there's Adam Samuelson. You know, <laughs> that's another guy, Olfs kid. So yeah, for Merkley, there's there's a deep line now. The the last thing that I felt that was really interesting at this combine, and Mike probably felt the same thing, was because there's a lack of true centers, the, the centers that were there were under a great microscope. And people did want, teams did really want to see how they performed because they knew that it was going to be sort of a little bit of slim pickings. And Coke the Miami before this combine, I still think some people felt like, he was the second best center. Mm -hmm. And I think coming out of the combine, I got the impression that finally he was getting the, you know, the respect that he would be the top center. Did you feel that way, Mike?
1: Yeah. I mean, it was clear. I mean, he was clearly schooled by his agent to emphasize you know, the the, the the lack of the, the lack of center depth in the draft and the fact that Montreal was intrigued. You know, the, the Montreal reporters were descending on him, and, you know, he made comments about, well, I know Montreal's looking for a center, and I'd like to be that guy. I'm like, okay, okay, geez. <laughs> you know, you just raised your stock based on that alone. But yeah. I, I, I found it interesting, you know, based on what what you told me and somebody else told me that, Toronto, which is an organization, you know, you think with with Matthews and Cadre as your one two, that they if they they don't have a lot of depth up the middle throughout the organization, even with draft picks. They mm-hmm. were talking to most of the centers who I would say probably are in the top two rounds. So that tells me that now the the question is whether they liked anybody. If they didn't like anybody, or did they didn't think that they were you know worthy of where they're picking at number twenty five they could trade down which a lot of people were thinking is a possibility or they could simply trade that first round pick to get an area, to solve an area of need and i think that's a possibility for them but they did talk to a lot of centers
0: yeah no doubt and and Ant, what like my biggest sleeper of the draft was John Gruden and actually he he tested really well like he <laughs> to the point where i even put up a a clip and i almost never do that but i was just like wow he's really uh Impressing people, I still think he'll go middle of the draft. But I think now he'll go middle of the draft instead of late in the draft. But Philip Hallander is a guy that I saw play at the um, at the Five Nations in Plymouth, and he was playing top line there. Didn't see him for a lot because he got banged up, but I saw a few games and I liked him. And you know, teams like the Flyers and a few teams are on him. But again, this is a guy who has had very limited viewings unless you were in Russia for the under-18s or you were in Plymouth. And so there hasn't been a lot of buzz for him online with the media, and that's why, but he's a pretty good player. And he's a center or a wing. He could be either one. And so that's one of those guys Is at 6'1", 185, he could, no, he could turn into something.
2: Yeah, that's something, again, If it's if that, that's going to be an area of certainly of interest, I think, for, say, I mean, because we know um, that – the Flyers very much value versatility in players. We know that right. for a fact. And again, he's already almost six foot two already coming into coming into things. So I could very again if if there's a run on defenseman and the Flyers end up taking um, a defenseman at number fourteen, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm I don't want to say I'm 100 percent convinced that they're going to go forward, defense, or defense forward in this draft. But I think because of the depth of def- of defensemen in this draft, it's almost I think they might
0: have to go incumbent deep on Philadelphia. Of and
2: yeah. they have to consider things going forward projection-wise with some of their other defensemen in system. Certainly, you've got to keep an eye, obviously, on how Sam Moran developed, You developed know, in terms of yeah. how he recovers from his injuries. They may, they're they going to be in need of having potentially another defenseman in system.
0: Yeah, and again, Myers, can we, Myers can we come
2: has to in? show that he could stay healthy, too, by the way. Exactly, and again, Philly could also very well be using one of those things to try to acquire a defenseman for the current roster. Again, right. there's a whole lot of different ways they can go. But getting back to Howland,er the one thing I really do like about him, and, and obviously you tipped me off on this, is the fact that he really is a, 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 a you know you hate to he's a two hundred foot player, and I know it a is. lot of people a lot of people roll their eyes at hearing that phrase. Right. But again, you just saw a Washington Capitals team with quite a few players that played that that, that played quick, fast, and in all three zones. And the thing I like about him is that I, I did get to see some highlights on him about his – certainly his power play uh, where he likes to play um, along the goal line. Mm-hmm. And he's very good on very quick – on quick passes. So he's a guy who could be a really good uh, trigger trigger man setup guy, uh, whether he's playing on center or on wing. He's definitely a guy I've, I have – I, you specifically have kind of tipped me off to him in this circumstance is that he's really kind of uh, he's a guy I think who can be uh, can be helpful certainly in a top six role potentially.
0: if I'm thinking for the Flyers, honestly, if I'm them. Uh, and I'm not saying Chris Pryor should listen to me, but you know maybe he should. Um, I would take Keandre Miller if he's there at 14. And nine, it's if he's there a, at
2: nine. If if he's there, I think it, if he's there. At I don't 14, think he'll be nine. there at
0: 19. That's. I nine. don't think he'll
2: be there at 19, but they could take it. I could see them potentially going for him at 14, and I'm sure yeah. that's going to cause some Flyer fans to, you know, retch a little bit because they want, you know, they're going to they're going to want offense. They're going to want an offensive player. If they see one of the other. You know, scoring wingers. There's so much potential. And Dominic, in this guy like Dominic, that, ba- but Dominic Bach is there, so I've heard enough people getting in my ear about Dominic Bach, and it's like you know me, what
0: Dominic Bach is pretty good, but he's more he's of a third line at best kind of center that's more defensive than offensive. And Miller,
2: and Miller to me, he he needs time to develop. He does. But I look at him and he's he's to me, I'm watching. He's very raw. But I look at him and I go. Uh, he is he, I don't want to say I do not I don't want to use the, the use Seth Jones. Yeah. He's a he he's much rawer than that. Jones came in much more polished. He is, obviously. but he has like,
0: similar speed to Seth Jones and actually strength to Seth Jones and
2: and, 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 and,
0: and could be used potentially
2: in that in that type of rover role that
0: yeah. Columbus uses
2: Jones in. I could easily see the Flyers long-term look at that. But again, You won't see him probably until, again, 2021, 2022 probably uh, in terms
0: of him being in the NHL. And And for what it's worth, the Flyers didn't talk to Bach because he he could barely answer the question when I asked him because I asked him about a few teams, and he actually said those were the hardest questions he's heard all day when I asked him about the Rangers and Flyers, but then when when Pat Hickey asked him about the – the Canadians. Canadians. He instantly answered, "Oh yeah, Canadians. Yeah, I spoke to him. So it was like I got a big laugh out of that He's like, oh yeah, Flyers and Rangers. You don't really know Canadians. You're right on it, man. Because <laughs> they know the Canadians need centers.
2: Exactly, exactly. So yeah, but I could see Miller. I could see Miller and Hallander. Um, the guy I really see, and I don't think he'll drop to him to Philadelphia. But my goodness, if he gets there at 14 they'll be all over Barrett Hayden they will be all yeah over I, don't I don't think he's going to get there but I, I don't think i agree with you i don't think he gets to i don't think he gets past the i he doesn't go what i don't think he gets past the islanders that in my opinion i think he ends up probably if he ends up out of the top 10 i don't think he gets past 11 or 12
1: what what i'm going to be most intrigued about in dallas in, in a couple of weeks is you know what teams value in terms of their first-round picks, and what what teams are going to include them in deals. Because we've heard the mm-hmm. chatter about Edmonton with the number ten pick, uh, potentially. Uh, moving it in a deal. I mean, the rumor from Ryan Rashad from TSN regarded uh, Rista Lane and a deal involving Clef Bomb. I, I don't know if that's going to come off, but it's out there. And obviously the, the rumors are coming out of Vancouver regarding Noah Hannafin and the seventh overall pick. What the value is placed on these picks, because there seems to be a, a, a trend here that there's a top six or seven, and then there's a, a distinct drop-off. And you know, I heard somebody on one of the t- local Toronto shows say that they they think like after maybe ten you know basically the same value of a player at the in the middle of the first round is at the, at, the, at the same as the middle of the second round now i don't I don't buy that I think that's a little dra- dramatic, but you know if there
0: if a lot of teams think that, then you could see some trades uh, on the oh, draft yeah. floor no doubt now, the last thing i'm going to close up shop and then I'll see if you guys have anything you want to finish with. Uh there's this thing that I saw and, and Ant and I were trading text last week on on German Rupstop. Like I don't understand there's this sort of mentality now that like he's not what fans or the Flyers thought he was when they drafted him. And like if if you watch the Memorial Cup, short of scoring like a hat trick in games, he was doing some really great smart things on a team that won. And he was a big reason why they won, and so, like I just didn't get the the thought process there, like I saw him in the world juniors until he got hurt, I'd seen him in in other situations and really liked him and, and what is what is this backlash with him because he't does have a lot think, of points. I,
2: I think it comes down to the whole they traded back they they could have taken keeper fellows oh really they see the name Be- i think they i I really do believe that I think it's it's fellows. Okay. Uh, more than anything, in the fact that Flyer fans, and, and it also goes back to also last year when the Flyers took more Frost over um, Tolvanen okay. uh, when they made the trade. That there's a, there's certainly a desire, I think, amongst the Flyer fan base to see the team draft a bona fide, you know, goal scorer sniper type. And okay, those players are boom to me, boom bust players. Yeah, we both will agree on that. Uh, that you know, once you get you know mid round or later, that that that's not necessarily a slam dunk. And I'm, i again, I like him, but I'm not about to, you know, I, I need to see him play at the at the yeah. at the North America pro level before I I cast judgment on that. And I think Frost did a great. I thought Frost really really emerged last year. He did. But getting back, but getting back to the whole thing with Rupsov, my whole quite the whole thing was what was the expectations of Flyer fans as to what exactly uh, German Rupsov was going to be. Yeah, it that's what I don't get. The kind of player he is, to me, he was a jack of all trades type of player mm-hmm. that he could play center, he could play wing. It's going to be a two. He's going to be a two-way player. You mm-hmm. have to have those guys for your body to have, throughout your lineup. You already over the long term. I think there was this unrealistic expectation for what his offensive numbers are going to be. Did do. they think he was that's like Dacuk t- or
0: something? Is that what they? I speak? don't.
2: I again, I think that's probably. Maybe that's what they had in the back of their head that they. That, that that's the kind of player that he is, and anybody who's yeah. actually seen him play, that's not his game. No. He is a two. He is once again a, another. T- he is a t- he is a two way player. I think he can play center. He may end up as a wing in this league, but I think he ends up being probably middle six at you know maybe he ends up being a glue guy on, on a lot, on 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 the second line or mm-hmm. a very effective third line player. But again, that's not sexy for people, and no. that's that. I think that's where where it comes from. And again, I mean, we we got into that conversation with our friend Charlie O'Connor from the from the Athletic. Who, you know, again, he's focused in on he was focusing in on his numbers, and that's why I kind of pointed out. I said, but you got to look at his projection and how he continued to look throughout the season. He yeah. got better and better as the season like, went in that on, men cup and had game, his best in the, and in his the his final best, game. And then played his best games, I think, in the Mem Cup, even though
0: the offensive numbers weren't right. necessarily there. You have to look at the total of what he's doing. And in that final, in it. that final game, in like the final five minutes, he put like a couple of shots on net that were really smart. One on like a turnaround shot where it looked like there was no way to get a shot on there's net.
2: There's things. That, there's things that he's watching that those, those games. I felt like and watching Rupp saw that, he's starting to get a bit more as the season went on, and certainly as he got of the Mem Cup that he he started to get more and more like. I guess offense. I guess swagger in some ways in, in, in his game. Like maybe that's the wrong word to use, but just that he was trying things, being a bit more bold, a bit more definitive in terms yeah. of getting into the danger areas much so, much more so than earlier this season, where I felt like he was more floating out a little more closer. He's more perimeter play, and that I think is a good sign. Now, how that's going to project going into going into his pro career, we'll see. Again, if he's get, getting those good habits now, then. You know, it may be a case of a guy sometimes didn't do great in junior, but maybe, you know, he surprises you as, as a pro. Maybe he gets to the Phantoms and is a better player than he's, than he showed so far in, in, in North American juniors. Again, he only been here for a couple of years,
0: there's right? A
2: possibility there that he's still, there's,
0: there's also the culture adaptation and everything else that goes with it. Everybody's different. No doubt. Mike, uh, any thoughts on Rube staff for any other final thoughts? <laughs>
1: Well, I just uh, just because uh, I, I was focusing on the on the leaps and the departure mm-hmm. of Mark Hunter, I know there's been some sort sort of retrospective analysis looking at some of the drafts that he did, and I think overall he did a pretty good job. I mean, if you look at the fifty. So. 50- yeah, the 2015 draft, I, I think that, that Marner, Dermott, and Bracco as your top three picks and getting yeah. guys like Timashov in the fifth round, who I think could be an NHLer. I mean, it was a pretty good job. But he's taking a little heat, and I think maybe it's a little it's, it's justified uh, with a couple second-round picks. And it's too early to really say this guy's a bust because, I mean, Igor Korshkov, he has not been in North America mm-hmm. for. Any rookie development camp, any rookie camp, nothing. He's always been you know, at KHL camp. He's never been uh, there. And I, a lot of people are questioning, especially when you look at that second round and guys like Jordan Kyrou and, and uh, Alex Dabrinkit and Tyler Parsons, uh, and and uh, and Taylor Radish all taken after him, and and you have a guy at the picked at the top of the first or top of the second round that has been uh, a mystery man, and then and also yeah, I'll admit uh, when that
0: pick was made, it was a little curious for me, but still, like you said, we'll have to wait and see because he's not even here yet.
1: And Carter Hart, too, that was the other guy that i right uh, I, yeah I, I omitted, so yeah, and then then the the second round pick from last year, uh Emily Rassinen, who played for Kingston this year and he's going to play for Jokerit, uh and probably will be on the Finnish uh, world Junior team this year, but you know there are some people that he's a he's a big defense and rangy guy, speed is a question, and you know there were other players that they may could have taken at that point that they didn't and the, the I think like I said it's it's hindsight is 2020 20, I've and seen Rasnan
0: improve though in person I've seen him improve I actually think look is he going to be offensive no but I think you know can he move the puck yeah can he get it that, to the NHL level of skating I think so he has that size and strength I, I think Rasinen's actually pretty good I do yeah I don't think he's great but I think he's pretty good. So I get it. Okay. I mean, you know, that's, I think that I always think happens it, though on your way out though, doesn't it? Like people always it, want it to does. kick you on the way out.
1: It does. And I think it's a, it's also a way of, and this is happening from, you know, just the, the, the blogosphere and things of that nature. Yeah. This is a way to sort of, okay, Mark Hunter wasn't God's gift to uh, scouting. And, right. you know, here, let's now Kyle Dubas is here. Let's see what he does. And they may
0: love it and they may hate what he does. So we'll see. Nope, that's fair. And have anything you want to close out with?
2: I'm good to go, my friends.
0: All right. Well, that's going to be it for uh, off the post. We'll we'll be at the draft and probably we'll, a couple uh, weeks. Yeah, we're
2: going to be yeah, yeah a couple of weeks cuz I'm I'm away and uh and then obviously we're going to be at the draft and I think we'll probably do a show. I'm assuming we'll probably do one right before we get into the free agency south.
0: Yeah, we'll okay. do a few more shows, but we'll come back and we'll recap the draft. That's how it's going to work. So We appreciate everybody tuning in, and we'll catch everybody next time. Take care, everybody.
1: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?